This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. But this is a special episode of it, including myself, Samson Folk, and I guess a favorite for most people to listen to. Everybody enjoys when he comes on Raptors Republic. The editor, Emeritus, Blake Murphy, coming to guide me through some salary cap implications. And we're going to do our free agency extravaganza. Blake, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm pretty good. You know, up late, trying to figure out that 21-team trade. And then up early, still trying to figure out that 21-team trade. Uh, Steven Adams, man, what a, what a fit in New Orleans. George Hill is getting traded places and under the radar sixth man of the year candidate. And he's just hopping around. Kelly Oubre is off in some place. Darius Miller getting that Trevor Ariza. Uh, we have to guarantee your unguaranteed contract so we can trade you. Ooh, that's good. That's good eating. I, if I could, I would prefer it to be a different Miller who would get that guaranteed contract. And then even if it was for a trade. Thoughts on Malcolm Miller quick, by the way, because I know we're both fans of Malcolm. Yeah, I... Uh... I like a couple spots for him. Um, I thought Indy would make some sense. Um, you know, the Nate Bjorkering connection, they were a little light on shooting. They, they could use some guys. And then, you know, I, I still kind of haven't, like, recalibrated what every roster looks like post-draft and post this first day of free agency. Um, they still look like a, a possible fit to me. Um, Washington is somewhere that I think he makes sense, even though... Uh, obviously, they've given the bag to Davis to be their their big shooter. Um, you know, they could use wings. And I think that's an organization that could benefit from some of the kind of culture stuff that Miller provides. Um, obviously, you know, 27 year old free agent, you want some production as well. But I think especially in this environment where you're going to be ramping up for training camps really quickly and uh, continuity and familiarity and chemistry are going to be really valuable early on. I think Miller, uh, you know, a well-regarded character guy coming from a strong organization, makes a lot of sense as a, as a minimum guy for a few teams. So um, Washington Indy are kind of at the top of my list of places that make sense. Um, depending on how rosters shake out, Phoenix could maybe use a little extra wing help now, and I think he'd be, you know, kind of fun there as like a, a 13th, 14th man type. Um, you know, realistically, I think he'll probably struggle to get a guaranteed deal, but um, I'd be surprised if if someone doesn't kick the tires on that, on at least a camp deal for him. Okay, and as somebody who I know the Raptors don't leak, and apparently nobody's close to that organization, but somebody who is at least closer than most other people in the organization, what would you say to fans who are sitting on their hands and saying? What are the Raptors up to? What does all the silence mean when they see so much action from other teams? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I woke up to a uh, tweet in my mentions this morning that was like, what are the Raptors doing? Like, they're falling behind. Like, they they have all this stuff. And it's it's tough because you do see all these other teams loading up. You know, Philly has had an awesome week. Uh, Brooklyn's had a pretty good week adding around the periphery. 
the Celtics have had a bad week, and you'd like to really dig in on the Celtics having a bad week. Um, but the truth is, and this is like, this is the boring answer of the last two off seasons, but the Raptors don't have a lot to do other than their own guys. So last year, it was the wait for Kawhi. And I think everyone at least understood that like Kawhi is worth the wait. And you, you know, if it's on Kawhi's terms and timeline, you just, you just wait it out. You know, I don't think that Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka have that same kind of enormity of priority this year. But the reality is, short of both of those guys walking and Gasol walking and Boucher walking and Hollis Jefferson walking, the Raptors aren't going to have any meaningful cap space anyway. Realistically, if even one of those guys is back, they all they have to shop with is their mid-level exception. It tends to be those second and third tier deals early in free agency that look the worst in retrospect. So, um, you know, I think 580 for Davis Bertans is actually fine given his, his shooting value, but that's one that people raised eyebrows at the Jordan Clarkson four year. What was it? 52. 52 um, yeah. And with a player option on the fourth year, like that's a, as much as people joke about Clarkson, that's a valuable skill set and not one that Utah would have been able to fill otherwise. So it's not a terrible deal, but that's the class of deal, um, you know, that I think people look back on after these free agent periods and the worst ones tend to happen when you're feeling that pressure to do something or you want to make a splash right away. So I think especially in a year where um, they have, you know, mo- their two biggest moves will probably come with internal guys. Um, and then they're using the mid-level exception to like take flyers on guys at the end of the roster. It's okay to be a little boring and a little slow here. It's not, I know it's not what anyone wants to hear, but, um, as far as, so as you said, making moves out of feeling the pressure can lead to obviously moves that look bad down the road. Maybe Marcus Morris at four years, 64 for the Clippers is maybe the, the highlight of that. You, you highlighted Jordan Clarkson. But these types of guys share similar roles and similar size, let's say, to OG Ananobi. There was rumors that the Raptors were looking to extend OG. As you laid out in your cap update, you were saying that the Raptors have roughly $18 million to work with. OG, at least internally, the well, let's say the fan look at it is that OG is probably better than Bertans, better than Morris, better than Harris, better than all these guys. So he has to command, you'd think, and his agent has to think, at least like $20 million or something around there. And you, in your mock negotiation with Eric Kareen, where Eric played OG's representation, you played the Raptors. You guys didn't come together on an extension. You had to wait till the offseason. What do you think about his market and his situation right now? Yeah, I think you're right. I think his representation, and he's a clutch client now, so you know... Uh, you know, they've got these comparables there and they're, they're going to come to the table with, you know, hey, Joe Harris got 475, Davis got 580. Um, you know, what what are we doing here? OG's clearly worth 20 plus. And what the Raptors are going to say to that is all of those guys were UFAs re-signing with their own team. Um, you know, Jeremy Grant being the exception as a guy who changed teams. But they're going to say those are UFAs who re-signed with their own teams via bird rights. That's not a reasonable comparison for OG Ananobi, who is going to be a restricted free agent and the Raptors will have the right to match offer sheets, which we've certainly seen examples of teams overshooting the market to deter a team from matching an offer sheet. Um, But realistically, 
you know, what the Raptors are going to say is like, those aren't fair comparisons because the unrestricted free agent market for guys with bird rights and the restricted free agent market are completely different markets. And what they might say is, you know, talk to us when, yeah, sure, Brandon Ingram's probably going to get a, a max or something close to that. But talk to us when that next tier of restricted free agents gets their deals done and let's see what those look like. Um, now, the bigger thing here isn't even really the dollar value on OG, I don't think. Like the Raptors have shown, and I think we're going to see this with Fred Van Bleet too. The Raptors don't have a problem paying their own guys and rewarding their own guys. But the issue with OG and Anobi, and we went through this, this exercise a little bit with Pascal Siakam, where I was of the mind you don't extend him before the season because, you know, worst case scenario, he would be an RFA right now and you would either offer him the max or match when he signs a max with someone else. And like, yeah, maybe that deal ends up being three years instead of four years. And that's where you um, that's where it hurts you. But the honest truth is he'd only be making 25 percent of the cap instead of 28 percent of the cap, probably um, anyway. The argument with OG is even clearer because for a sub-max guy, uh, you know, the big thing is what you're trading off if you're the Raptors is you're looking at it this way. If we ignore the cap situation for 2021 and the cap hold, the reason to get a deal done now is obviously there are ancillary reasons. Like we want to take care of our guy. We want to signal to future players that we take care of our own. We want OG to be happy and not looking over his shoulder all season. More like analytically, the reason to get a deal done now is because you think you can get him cheaper today than you could get him as an RFA next summer. And I think that's true because, you know, you know how high I am on on OG and I, I think there's even more potential to unlock. And I think he's going to be by this time next summer, look like a no brainer 20 million a year guy, whereas maybe right now he looks like a, you know, based only on track record, not projection, you know, maybe you look and it's like, OK, he's a 14, 15, 16 million a year guy. I think next year it's going to be like, oh, he's like a 20, 22 million a year guy. Um, so in a normal scenario with, with the Raptors to, to get a deal done now, the Raptors have to decide, OK, what's the point at which it tips where we think we're getting enough of a discount now to give him that certainty. Um, and I think that, you know, they gave Terrence Ross three years, 33 million. They gave Jonas uh, the the same, you know, a, a rookie scale extension that was a little bigger than that. They obviously gave Pascal the max. They'll do that. Uh, the sticking point is, and this is about more than just Giannis. This is about flexibility in general and how we've seen a couple teams use their cap space pretty intelligently these last couple days to either eat a salary to pick up a, a draft asset or, use their cap flexibility to acquire a, a player, um, not just via free agent signing, but also via sign and trade. Um, flexibility is important for a lot of reasons, not just getting Giannis. And, and what an OG Ananobi extension would sacrifice is some 2021 flexibility. So as a restricted free agent, OG would be on the books for what's known as a cap hold. So basically it's a, an estimate of what his contract might be that is what it tries to do is keep a team like the Raptors from going out, signing Giannis and then re-signing Lowry and re-signing OG and re-signing who at Norm. And, you know, there are ways to circumvent the, the cap, but they don't want there are some blockages in place to make sure you can't do it too aggressively. So OG's cap hold is projects is about eleven point six million. Um, so what that means is every dollar over 11.6 million, the Raptors give OG in an extension. That's a dollar they don't have in cap space next year. And because the downside is they just match a higher offer for OG next summer, you know, I think that 
normally that tipping point where they say, hey, this is a good enough discount. Um, I think it's it's further down the spectrum than it normally would be because it's not only about his price now versus price next summer. It's about his price now versus his price next summer, as well as, um, you know, how much flexibility are you sacrificing uh, on the 2021 market? So if it's like, you know, if OG would sign right now for 14 million a year, that's a no brainer. You punt on that extra cap space to get that deal done. Now, if his agents are like, no, we're not signing for less than 18 you know, then you probably look at it and say, look, that's six, seven million in caps flexibility we're losing. We'll just wait and give them 20 next summer um, if that offer is there. So that that's the complicated dance the Raptors are working through with with OG and an extension. And, um, you know, Masai's track record certainly suggests that he'll prefer to get a, a deal done. But I could imagine there's a little bit of this this might be the rare instance where Bobby and Masai disagree and Masai is like, no, we're paying our guy. Like, let's get it done. Let's continue to show everyone we take care of our own and have this culture. And Bobby's like, six extra million in cap space. I don't know. I don't want to speak for them, but I could see this being a rare instance where their their preferences don't uh, exactly align. So if we're looking at the flexibility that you spoke about and looking at the possibility, let's say, of an Otto Porter Jr. sheet coming in, like a $27 million offer coming in for OG next year, that's worth the risk to maintain flexibility. Is that OG maybe over four years collects like an extra $40 million or 30 to $40 million on a crazy cap sheet that's offered to him, or, or sorry, a contract that's offered to him, and you maintain your flexibility? And what do you think is, well, I guess you already said that 18, 20 million is maybe a bit too rich. 16 is maybe getting closer to realistic. But it's it's a really interesting situation for OG because he's this quiet guy. He's one of the most low usage starters in the NBA. But that also means that there's that that potential for a huge jump in numbers and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and that's it's a weird one too where, uh, uh, so yeah, so this is the, this is always the tough thing. I'm like, this is a tough thing that comes up with arbitration in baseball and hockey. And it's a thing that comes up and it's tough with RFA negotiations in basketball. It's like, you don't want to tell the player the reasons you don't want to give them that money right now. Right? Like when you sit down and have this conversation, you have to be careful how you lay this out to OG. And I think, you know, that, that mock negotiation that Eric and I did, I, I, as the Raptors, tried to do that where I was like, this isn't about you. We love you. We'll give you your money next summer. But you try to explain the situation as best you can. Now, if it does get down to, you know, where the negotiation is a little tougher or a little more, um, you know, like comparable contract based. Uh, the other thing the Raptors could have in their pocket. And I, I hate bringing this up because I want guys to get paid. I don't want this like anti-labor tilt on on how they should approach the offseason. But, you know, projecting, you mentioned OG's a low usage starter. Projecting low usage guys into even moderate usage roles is really tough. Um, and the the track record of guys with OG's level of usage jumping into a higher usage is like really hit and miss. And most of them can take on, you know, I did, I did a breakdown of this um, earlier in the offseason. It was like basically... You know, most of those guys, if you're as efficient as OG, especially, you can definitely add a little bit of usage. But if we're projecting a jump from 14 percent to 18 percent or even 20 percent where you're getting into the the tier of guy where, you know, you may 
maybe that's where you're comfortable with with 20 million a year and um you know we know that right or wrong offense gets paid more on the market than defense does um you know that's the kind of thing the raptors i don't think they would have internal hesitation about because i think they like og a lot and think he's going to get better but that's you know that's a negotiating chip you have there is like well yeah maybe you'll get an auto porter next summer and maybe you won't because if your offense doesn't come along if it struggles when you take the jump to 17 or 18 percent usage uh you know that kind of kills the that shininess of oh what could og be if the offense continues to develop so that's uh i don't think the the negotiations get as contentious isn't the right word but i don't think they get as like diff as prickly as that where you have to give reasons you don't want to pay the guy i think it's going to be this is the number we're comfortable with to punt the cap space og's camp will be like no we'd rather wait and get way more money next year and then they might just agree to revisit it Blake Murphy, enemy of the proletariat. You heard yeah, it here first, ladies is... and gents. Okay, so Serge What Ibaka. I'm saying is OG needs to seize the means within the offense and show <laughs> that he can be a higher usage guy by just taking it. The uh, Nick Nurse dictating usage can no longer fly now that Nick Nurse is uh, earning more money than OG. Kyle Lowry is the guy who goes to different organizations comfortable with his own wage, but is ready to disrupt the flow of how everybody gets paid. He organizes strikes and stuff like that for the workers. But anyway, uh, Serge Ibaka, Marcus All, two big names for a lot of other teams, two familiar names for the Raptors. Gasol is linked to the Lakers. Ibaka has been linked to everybody, as he should be. Desirable, good-looking man of mystery that he is. What do you think about them? Because you proposed Abaka at somewhere near the full mid-level exception, and you said Gasol, and these are just their markets. This isn't what you think they should make. And you said Gasol might command the mini mid-level exception. What do you think about their fit across the league? What do you think the reality of them coming home is? What are your thoughts on the situation? Yeah, I think one of them will be back. I think you just look at what the Raptors, you know, what their cap sheet lines up like, what what their options are, and then really how much they value that continuity and those guys as locker room guys. I think one of them will probably be back. Um, Mark is a guy that, you know, I have him more in the mini mid-level range, mostly because I can't see him being interested in playing for a bad or mediocre team. Like if he has not gone back to Barcelona and he's not staying in Toronto, I feel like he probably wants a competitive window. So, um, you know, the Lakers have used their whole mid-level now to where Gasol would have to be, I think, a minimum deal there, unless I'm missing something on their cap sheet. Uh, the Clippers would be interesting as a, as a mini mid-level team. I was having a conversation with Lucas Han last night, and we were talking about, you know, would Ibaka or Gasol be a better fit there? And what's, you know, because the, the Clippers are a, a rumored Ibaka suitor, but they can't get into the full mid-level. And I don't know that, you know, I think Abaka wants more than the mid-level. Um, and that's the big advantage that I think the, the Raptors have. Like, if you told me those guys were coming back on one-year deals with exactly equal contracts, I think I would slightly prefer Gasol. Um, and I've said that I prefer Gasol in my analysis, mostly because I think at 35, he's probably way more open to a one-year deal than Abaka is. Um, you know, Abaka's going to want term. Like, I think if you're trying to get Abaka away, and you're offering the mid-level, it's got to be like three or four years. Whereas 
I think Toronto's comfort might be more like a one year, 15 million or, or the, uh, the Miami heat special of like two years, 32 million, but the second year is a team option. So you can flip them at the deadline if, if things go poorly or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think it's tough because Ibaka has a lot of suitors and, and I think there are a lot of places where he would be really helpful as a bench scoring big or, or like a fringy starter. Um, and I think he's worth in a vacuum about the mid-level or a little bit more. Um, my hesitation with Ibaka has always just been term because his defense has slid pretty noticeably. And if you if you elevate him into a starting role on a in an offense like Brooklyn's or, or LA's or even Toronto's to some degree, you know, a, some of what he brought so well for the Raptors the last two years, which is higher volume bench scoring that's pretty efficient, you know, you don't need that as much from Ibaka if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are on the floor or Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are on the floor. So um, that's where it gets a little a little tricky to find the the right situation and money fit. But I, I still think I would guess Ibaka is back likelier than than he leaves. Um, but I also think that, you know, the the tough wrinkle with this stuff is there's always opportunity for sign and trade. So, you know, we look at the market and it's like, well, Brooklyn could offer the mid-level and the Clippers could offer the mini mid-level and the Lakers could offer the minimum. And those are maybe your three really good teams who could come after Ibaka and Gasol. And then, like, all it really takes is Ibaka's agent to call the Raptors and be like, look, we're leaving. This is where we're going. Help facilitate it and put up an asset, like pick up an asset in the process. So um, there's always the, the room for sign and trade. Uh, I'm getting a kick out of Ibaka trolling on social media about where he is. And then uh, Raptors Reddit or, or Raptors Real GM doing the, the flight tracker stuff uh, to try to figure out where he might be. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty it's cute. The format, also, right? Yeah. He also, I think, Serge was in, uh, I, I think Serge was in corduroy track pants in the photo. And I got to I got to get me some corduroy track pants. I wonder if that would be comfortable. I think tech fleece are like the ultimate comfort pants. Yeah, corduroy. But I'm not going to argue with Serge when it comes to <laughs> cozy fashion, you know? That's true. Like no, Marcus Gasol is definitely fashion. doing all these negotiations in tech fleece for sure. Yeah. If if they had tech fleece when Mark was drafted or traded or whatever, that's that's what he shows up in. He's trying to be comfortable. Mark is, far as, Mark is fascinating because Mark's going to be like 45 and be like doing errands in all the team gear he saved from every place he's he's played. It's he's a he's a team gear guy. Like he's he'll be like one of those dads that has T-shirts from every vacation the family went on. But it's just like his workout gear from every franchise. That was one of the things growing up in Saskatchewan is the families. Let's say the dads of a lot of families that wore hats and shirts from places, at least where I grew up, was like a signifier of status. It's like I travel, even though it wouldn't fit anywhere besides a small town in Saskatchewan. But there it was like, oh, I get out of here, man. I, I go places in the winter. And so they have like this hat that says San Antonio or something. And it has nothing to do with the Spurs. It's just San Antonio, the, the place. But uh, they love the Riverwalk. I, Look, I man, there, there's the a market for that stuff. Like every airport you go to has a ton of that stuff and they wouldn't have it if people don't buy it. Um, I want to leave Fred to last because I feel like that is the one that is most likely to be aged out by the time this podcast comes out. So let's talk about Chris Dunn. You've been transparent about your wish to have him on the team. The Bulls didn't extend the qualifying offer. He's apparently out there for the right price in the ether. He's existing somewhere. 
What do you think about the reality of that situation? Is it likely just the way that everything's going right now? Thoughts on Chris Dunn? Yeah, I don't think so. I think the Malachi Flynn draft pick kind of killed that possibility. Not that you can ever have too many guards, but like almost all the players the Raptors have under contract now are point guards or shooting guards or combo guards. Like there's, they're just extremely guard heavy. And I think especially when you only have the mid-level to operate, they'll look a little further up the position chain. Uh, now, if Fred were to leave and sign elsewhere, you know, as a short-term stopgap, as a guy who can, you know, play either alongside Lowry or Malachi Flynn and then maybe fill some of Fred's minutes, um, you know, until Flynn's ready, there are worse guys you could get than done. I don't know that there are worse offensive players you could get than done, but um, he's maybe the best defensive guard in the league at this point. So uh, in terms of a guy who could fill at least some of what Van Bleep brought from a value perspective, he's interesting. Um, you know, I don't know. They got creative with Rondé and made Rondé like a part-time short pick and roll point guard and like dunker spot guy. Maybe you do the same with Chris Dunn where like Chris Dunn becomes a point center in your offense uh, because you have no centers anyway. Uh, and he's just like setting screens and getting offensive rebounds. I don't know. There's not a lot of offensive value there, but I do think, I think the this is probably like the Malachi Flynn thing. I moved on from, from Chris Dunn a little bit. Um, sadly, I'll wait for 2021 uh, to, to refloat the, the Chris Dunn uh, thing. So uh, Harry Giles is the, the target now. Dwayne Harry Bacon Giles. off the market, too, who I like. Dwayne Bacon was, I think, my favorite like minimum contract guy on the wing. But he's basically just like Malcolm Miller, but two years younger, where it's like he's big. He shoots. He has some defensive potential, but he's never actually like played well in games. But it's like, yeah, but all the all the stuff's there. I actually I liked Bacon's finish to 18-19 that season. Like the yeah. year the Raptors won the chip, I thought Dwayne Bacon, the second half of his season where he actually got quite a bit of playing time, yeah. I thought he was good. I think being back with Steve Clifford will help too. And then the Magic obviously like have a need for that player type if he hits. So that's a good fit. Yeah. So Harry Giles, which apparently everybody has taken on as they are the champion of his contract status. Everybody's like, Harry Giles is my guy. I'll die if he doesn't sign with the Raptors. And I think that's also being emulated in other markets on other teams. Like I'll see a guy from like Philly or a guy from Boston. Everybody wants Harry Giles, apparently. What are your thoughts on him? Could he join the Raptors? How does he fit next to Pascal Siakam? There's a bit of passing synergy there or the potential for it. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's very funny that almost all of my cheap targets are guys who just didn't figure it out in Chicago, Sacramento, or New York, where it's like, it's it's at the same time a bet against their player development system, but also a bet on their talent identification system. Because it's like, oh yeah, uh, Alonzo Trier wasn't good in New York and the Knicks are bad, but maybe we could turn him into something. It's like, I feel like it's high school dating where it's like, yeah, but he, you know, that player won't be like that with me. Um, it's Tobias Funke. No, these people, they always delude themselves into thinking it's worked for them, but it could work for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe I can fix Harry Giles. Uh, No, I think Giles is interesting because, like, first of all, yeah, it's he's a guy who, in a normal franchise that operates uh, coherently, he would be entering the fourth year of his rookie skill contract and then would be an RFA next year. 
Instead, the Kings didn't pick up that option. So they, you have a guy who was a first-round pick who, after three years, is a free agent and whose team can't offer him more than $4 million. Um, and then you also have... You know, I'm a little surprised that some of the bad teams with cap space didn't didn't take a, a, an early flyer on him. But like you look around the league and like who is giving him more than like five million dollars to, to see what he's got? Like maybe if he waits it out, someone who still has their mid-level left gets aggressive. But I think you could get Giles on like a two year, 10 million, like Stanley Johnson ish kind of deal. Um, you know, ideally, that is a team option in the second year in case it doesn't work. But I just think I think the kind of why people are enamored is like you look at last year I wrote a lot about what a redraft candidate looks like and I was really high on Rondé Hollis Jefferson uh, as a signing because he was a first round guy who had played well at times and just like didn't have a role and at some point his team was like look we gotta we gotta try other guys we gotta invest elsewhere and um, let's just ignore that Stanley Johnson was also one of those targets Um, you know Stanley was an interesting one in that he was still very young and had played well at times but he also had like a bajillion minutes of track record where it was like maybe he's just not that good um you know i still think he could actually be a bench guy but um anyway so with giles what you're looking at is like he's probably going to be able to be had cheaper than a guy at that point in his career and contract status normally would be if if it hadn't been mishandled i think you look at other centers around the market and there are there are a handful of interesting names I would be uh, excited to to see on like a minimum deal or like a, a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, like here's a small scrap of the mid-level kind of deal. Um, but there's not a lot of, there's not a ton of upside with those guys. And I look at Giles as a guy with high school pedigree and then who has one elite skill, which is passing as a big man. And I think that that's, I guess where I get to with some of these developmental guys is like, and I, I jump around a little bit because like one of the reasons we like Malcolm Miller, I think, is that he doesn't do anything poorly. He does a little bit of everything. And with Giles, it, the attraction is more that he does the hardest things really well. And then it's like, it's some of the easier stuff that he doesn't do as well uh, or needs some improvement on it. And like, logically, I feel like that should be the stuff that's a little easier to coach up and develop. and like a big who passes like that is not something that you could coach. Like that's, you can, you can help a guy improve as a passer. Um, we've seen that with Ibaka and JV and stuff, but I don't think when a guy has that natural, a passing feel at the center position, I don't think you can really coach that into a guy. So it's kind of a, a scarce asset at the position, that skill. Um, and like, don't get me wrong. Harry Giles is probably not going to come in and play 30 minutes a game at a Marcus all Serge Ibaka level right away. But I do think when you look at the lack of exciting upside plays on the market, he's the one guy where it's like, oh, shoot, if things clicked, you know, that is the I just think he has the highest like to use like kind of draft draft terms. Like, I think he has the highest potential ROI and like his his like average outcome maybe isn't all that sexy, but his like 80th percentile outcome it starts to get really good because of the way he passes the ball and the, the pedigree he has as a, as a prospect in general. Um, and then also there's, there's like a sprinkle of the Raptors have a really good track record as a medical staff. And some of why Giles has struggled is medical related. So maybe you can help him out in that regard too. 
this is more than we yeah. need to talk about Harry Giles probably, but when no, uh, probably when he not. signs with like Atlanta, right? When we finish this, uh, you no, know, that'll be, be great. No, because they have Collins, Capella. They have everyone. Yeah, yeah. Okongwu. Yeah, and they and Gallo, right? Yeah. They. I. What do you think about John Collins? I like John Collins a lot offensively. I'm surprised that he may not have a spot. But anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I like dunks and tattoos, so I'm cool with John Collins. <laughs> yeah, John Collins kicks ass. As far as Harry Giles and the passing thing, like, as he said, you can coach up a, you show Serge Ibaka, like, this is a short roll. If the defense is rotating this way in our offense, this is typically where you want to look. If JV is getting doubled, you say it depends how the defense is rotating, but these are the weak spots on the floor. Harry Giles just being able to stand in the high post and like thread a cutter right to the rim. You can't teach that. And it does open up a lot of different things, especially playing next to a guy like Siakam and maybe mixing with Kyle Lowry, who can obviously he he lifts the floor of almost any player's game, I think is interesting. And Harry Giles plays, I think, like 27 minutes a game on my NBA 2K franchise. So I got him. I, <laughs> is there anybody else? I know you have a list of guys you think the Raptors could target that are cheap flyer deals and stuff like that. Who do you have on your list that you could uh, that you could talk about that would maybe excite people or or make them content, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, the fun one at, at the big man position would be if they're like, if they really strike out, like bring Biz back to be the third center. I think people would be happy with that. Uh, the other guy I like is like kind of a, a unsexy third center is like Kyle Quinn makes a lot of sense as like a guy who would be fine not playing and is like, well-respected and works well with young guys and has a relationship with Lowry and stuff like that. Um, a little higher up the chain. Um, this will be, I know people would probably be excited about Thon maker because he got made an, uh, an unrestricted free agent. I mean, it wouldn't be the worst flyer in the world to take, but I, you maybe just resign Chris Boucher if you want to, to try that out. Um, yeah, I mean, Jakob's off the off the market now. Jermichael Green's off the market. Frank Kaminsky can shoot, but I'm not like getting crazy excited about that. Um, I don't know. From the G League, the the one name that stands out is Isaiah Hardenstein. Um, he's the G League MVP. He's, I mean, he's good. He's not. Again, I like I like tattoos, so <laughs> you know, it's uh, <laughs> that's part of it. But no, he's probably. I think he's probably the name that like of guy people don't know who i could see realistically like playing 10 minutes a game off the bench for a team next year um i think like he he looked ready in the g league um there are some other interesting like like g league or like uh two-way candidates too um but obviously those don't move move it a lot um do you want are, are we just talking centers or do you want some of my other ones too oh let's uh let's get into other stuff Okay. Um, yeah. So the at the wing, um, my favorite undrafted guy who's still available is Lamine Genet, who is like a small school six seven forward with a handle who like plays way out of control, but just fills it up. I think you know he's like uh, his college profile and athletic profile is like an even rawer and worse Pascal Siakam at that stage. Um, just like the like they came up in all the same like statistical filters when I was looking at like small school guys. Uh, I think he'd be fun for the 905, but isn't ready yet. Um, my favorite wing from the G League is Jamario Jones. 
who's a like six five point forward who shoots worse than I do and defends like hell. Um, who's another? Oh, um, the 76ers just waved Mariel Shayok from the 76ers, who, uh, who has, of course, he's from the 76ers if the 76ers waved him. Um, Canadian guy who might be a two way candidate, he can shoot it pretty well. Um, the Raptors are pretty set at guard, but Tremont Waters from the Celtics, who was on a two way, is really interesting. Uh, Jordan Bone from Detroit would be a cool two way guy, although, again, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to invest one of those spots in a point guard necessarily. Um, Christian Vital is my favorite undrafted point guard for, for 905. Um, and then, like, I guess if you're looking for, like, I know people go to, I, I almost always at these end of roster spots will lean developmentally. Like, I think with Fred and Kyle and one of Serger, Mark back, like you have enough leadership and experience that you don't really need to go vet guys in those spots. The one like guard wing type kind of guy, like I wouldn't argue with the Tuan Moore, a guy who can shoot and teach everyone on the team his his ungodly floater. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the, the names that I'm saying here are not really exciting names. And like, I don't think you're getting DeAnthony Melton for the mid-level. And I don't think you're getting, you know, uh, Pat Conton's off the board and Dwayne Bacon's off the board. And like the next guy on the list is like Wes Awundu. Like, I just, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of sexy mid-level exception guys, but I think there are a couple guys you could get for two, three, four million who might provide like seven, eight million dollars of value off the bench. Like exactly like Rondé last year where like, he made 2.5. He probably provided four or five million in value. Um, you know, probably could have even done more if he didn't have the the injury early in the year. So, um, if you like the Rondé and Stanley Johnson experiments, this is the off season for you. I actually like Wes Wondu. I uh, yeah, that would fine. I, that would be good for me, I think. And as far as as you say, going like the developmental route. At the back end, I think the Raptors have been so set in their floor for so long, which is why Raptors fans for so long have been making fun of the people who are like, oh, the Raptors, they're finally out of the playoffs. So is that the McIntyre guy back to the basement or whatever <laughs> that uh, viral cliff was from last year. But the Raptors fans and a lot of people who cover the Raptors know the Raptors are going to be good because they have such a set floor because of Lowry, because of the just the way they play, and they, they play a good brand of basketball. So you swing for the fences at the back end. Seems like a smart way to go for things. Where you can, as, as much as there's an avenue to swing for the fences at the back end of the roster. Yeah, and I think that makes sense, especially in a transition year like this, where, like, if we're being honest, it's probably not going to be a title contention year. And what you look at, or what I look at in these spots is, okay, let's assume that the Raptors let's write them in for a second round exit this coming season. And that's not a bad season. And it continues to build your guys and your experience and your, your organizational reputation. But let's say that's the outcome. Well, at the back of the roster, who is, who could potentially change that outcome or the future outlook more a 33 year old who, you know, can play 14 minutes a game and hit 37% of his threes or a 23 year old who has some tools and just hasn't had a ton of opportunity yet. Like, those are the kind of decisions you're looking at. And it's not the year they had Kawhi. I understood like, okay, Jeremy Lin and Jody Meeks and, and those kind of additions, because like any downgrade anywhere on the roster is really risky. Um, in this type of season though, it's like, okay, Etuan Moore might be better than 
I don't know, Alonzo Trier, to go back to that example. But who has the higher ups? Like, like who could develop more? Or who could be more valuable at this point? It's like, sure, maybe you could flip a Tuan more at the trade deadline if things are going poorly. But, um, you know, the path to that guy improving and sticking around longer is is better with a, a younger guy. So, um, you know, I'm just using Alonzo Trier because I said his name earlier. Uh, but it would it would flow the same at center where, like, you know, Plumlee is good and would have been fine on the Raptors as a backup center. But if you're going to give three years to someone to plug that spot, you know, is Plumlee changing your ceiling? Probably not. He's probably a floor raiser guy. And I think the Raptors with their roster construction where they are, you know, you're making ceiling plays right now. You're not making floor plays. And you don't want to sign a guy who's going to take minutes away from Paul Watson's inaugural all-star campaign. You just want to make sure he's got the room to grow. Can you win most improved player if you didn't play the year prior? I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, I guess it's time for Fred. Fred yeah. Van Vliet. He's he supposed yet? to be. <laughs> yeah, he's supposed to be having conversations today. Could very well be all wrapped up by the time whoever's listening to this is listening to this. Probably by the time if you're watching it, because I don't know how fast I am at editing. But I guess we'll see. But Freddie, good thing we haven't screwed anything up, and there's nothing to clean up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Freddie. He's been rumored at, you know, there were there are lots of reports that came out. I don't know about any that have been verified at all. Four for 117 came out like last week, and I didn't think that was real. But the market certainly seems like it is bumping him up. But also, on the other side, there are very few teams that can offer that type of contract. So while the market might be inflated, the very, very top end of the market might not actually be there. What do you think about his situation? Like, what's going on with Fred right now? Yeah, it's similar to OG where, like, there are all these, uh, you know, deals that could theoretically bump him higher. And then the Raptors could be like, okay, well, none of that applies to you. Like, like if you're Fred Van Vliet, again, we can go the sign and trade route like we did with Ibaka. But Fred Van Vliet's subject to what are called base year compensation rules that make sign and trading him pretty complicated from a, a salary cap math perspective. We won't go into all that now. I talked about it with Zarrar on one of these um, a, a little while back. So um, a Van Vliet sign and trade is complicated. So then you're looking at, you know, OK, who has cap space left? And if that, uh, you know, if the Hawks are in on some of the guys that they're rumored to be in on, it's not the Hawks. And the Pistons have used all their cap space on infinite centers and stretch provisions. Um, You know, Phoenix is a team that could have carved out some space and and they've gone the uh, Chris Paul route. Miami was a team that maybe could have gotten the mix and they've retained Goran Dragic instead. So you look and, and suddenly there aren't a lot of teams with cap space. So Van Vliet says, look, I'm worth way more than Davis Bertans or Joe Harris, which is a really easy case to make. The Raptors might respond and say, okay, sure. But those guys were also re-signed with bird rights as unrestricted free agents. And like, where is that offer? Like, like, are we negotiating against ourselves here? And then Fred Van Vliet's camp will be like, have you met the Knicks? They will... (laughs) Like all, all we have to do is leak that the that Fred Van Vliet is not interested in the Knicks, and then the Knicks will come with a with a big offer. Um, so the Knicks are the big wild card here, right? Like the Knicks have the most cap space on the market. They haven't been tied to a ton of guys. 
Van Vliet makes a ton of sense for them from a, what does the roster construction look like right now from a, we're trying to, you know, obviously Dolan will mess it up at some point, but they look like a team that's trying to build a bit of a culture around, you know, RJ and, o- and um, Obi and stuff. So it's Van Vliet makes sense. And then Van Vliet also makes sense because not to be negative about Van Vliet, but maxing out a second tier guy would also be very Knicks. Um, not that I don't think Van Vliet doesn't still have some upside. He can like, look, people didn't think Van Vliet was going to return value on a two-year minimum deal. And then people didn't think Van Vliet was going to return value on a two-year $18 million deal. People aren't going to think Van Vliet's going to return value on a four-year whatever deal. And he might very well do that still. But yeah, the Knicks blowing out the market as the only team with cap space left to sign Van Vliet, who like hasn't been an all-star yet. And, and his strengths and weaknesses maybe don't project to a lead guy role all that seamlessly without some improvement, um, you know, that's a, that's a Nixy thing. So that's, that's the big thing is like, I think the Raptors would love to have Van Vliet back. I think Van Vliet would love to be back. I think there's a number that's pretty high that the Raptors are comfortable with and would tell Van Vliet, look at how much we, we love you. And like, you are, you obviously mean a lot to us and here's a dollar amount to show it. And then the Knicks could beat that number significantly. So it's, it's, you know, it's hard to know, like Van Vliet obviously went on the JJ Reddick podcast and he's been very open that like he knows his value and he wants to feel that value in his bank account. Now, I do think that I think that the way he might approach this is there's a minimum that you have to show Fred you value him to get in the conversation. And then there's obviously what the maximum offer will be on the market. And I think that there's a band between those two points. And that's where it falls on Van Vliet a little bit in like, you know, how much do you appreciate the market opportunities the Knicks present? How much do you appreciate the playoff opportunities the Raptors present or, you know, what you've already built there or how established your brand is there or um, those kind of things. And I can't speak for Fred in those regards. So I don't think that stuff makes a difference between 15 million and 25 million, but it might make a difference between 22 million and 25 million. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where Fred's cutoff point for that is. So um, I would be surprised at this point, like looking at every team's cap sheet and how complicated a sign and trade is. I'd be surprised if it's not the Knicks or the Raptors. Um, but the NBA has surprised us before. So who knows? Yeah. When I was uh, when I was talking to his his reps at End One. They seem so excited about marketing him in Canada and like the future of him in Canada and everything. And then he signed with Lee Ning. So I was like, oh, God, could you imagine being like a Wodge or a Shams? How much discerning you have to do on all the information that comes your way? My but God. The, the Raptors have such a great history of leaning athletes. Jeremy Lin, Terrence Ross, Fred Van Vliet fits right in. Yeah, it's it's seamless, really. As uh, how many people from the Raptors championship team don't have their rings yet? Is it just Danny Green? Yes, Jordan Lloyd got his in the off season. Jeremy Lin posted his on social. Moreland and Meeks were there. Uh, Kawhi obviously got his. That's got to be it, right? I think so. Yeah. Who? Yeah, that that's that's about it. I think interesting. Yeah. Danny, I wonder when he'll get it because he's still or his Lakers, Lakers ring. One too. Yeah. 
All right. That feels like, uh, do you have any, what, what is ROI? Oh, return on investment. Okay. I thought it was record of income. No. <laughs> uh, okay. No, I'm from the blog game. I don't, I don't have records of income. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got you. Uh, Blake, this feels like a, a good jumping off point. If any, uh, the floor is yours, mate, if you want to plug or tell people what they should be reading or listening to. I'm sure I will after you do, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know where to find me, all the all my stuff at The Athletic. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this stuff, but like, if you're not a subscriber and you open one of my articles in web right now, I don't know if it works on mobile, but I think there are flash sales that come up. So uh, this would be the week to do uh, a free seven-day trial or uh you know, one of those discounted uh, subscriptions because a lot's going to happen in the next little bit. Um, we had what I thought was some good draft stuff up. Uh, obviously, you know, the everyone's going to going to have you covered for for Fred and Surge stuff. But I don't know that anyone will have you covered for the eventual Harry Giles signing as well as I will. So um, check that out. And yeah, I mean, you guys know where to find me. Okay. Seems like a, a perfect way to end the podcast, Blake. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Now I know what ROI means and a couple other minute details of the cap that I might not have otherwise known. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, buddy. Okay. And listener, if you're getting into this in the morning or at night, I don't know when it is, probably in a you know a meaningful time because you know this stuff, it expires quickly. So I hope you're enjoying it while it's still relevant. But Regardless, whether it is in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.